I think I mean, everyone's going to be fired up today. Yeah, I I, I put twenty five dollars on uh on Portland to win. There so you go. I, like, I never make more than like a five dollar bet, but I was like, this is almost a guarantee. There you go. And I hit some insane parlays uh, the last couple of days. Nice. Oregon sports betting. Do you have sports betting in Mass? There's not a lot of gambling here. They got scratchers like 10 years ago. Okay. And everyone does scratchers. So sports betting, it's awesome. It's just on an app on your phone. And oh. so you just fund an account. And so you can fund it from your PayPal. So I actually put in like 50 bucks from these last like, group of record sales. And like I have fun. Well, I actually really love gambling. And so it's a yeah. good way for me to gamble because it's a way to really stretch out. Because I'll put, you know, my favorite thing is I'll put like, six different you know six way parlay for like two bucks but if it hits it pays 90. There you you know, know. So it's like oh yeah well that's a day's worth of fun watching all the games and betting over-unders and like you know so some some teams i'm just like i'm rooting for both teams to score because i've taken the over or i'm just rooting for defense all around because i've taken the under Welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann, bringing you another conversation with an everyday educator. Today, I'm talking with my one of my good friends, Casey Arn. He is a high school teacher in Oregon, uh, where I'm from originally, if you've paid attention to this podcast at all. Um, Casey's also been on the podcast a couple times in the past, but specifically for our year-end music reviews with our friend Scott. Uh, shout out to Scott. He's not on this conversation, so it's just me and Casey uh, going at it one-on-one, uh, talking about music, talking about records. We're talking about teaching in Oregon. We're talking about Oregon. We're talking about buying a baby. You'll hear, you'll hear all, all about that uh, throughout this episode with Casey. Um, before we get to that, um, real quick, just like to tell folks that we are a member of the ConnectEDU network. Go to connectedu.network to learn more about the wonderful uh, educational podcasts that are out there and all the educational opportunities that you can get your ears and eyes and brains attached to in this quarantined world. Uh, there's a whole lot out there, so go to connectedu.network to learn more. 
Also this week you're hearing tunes from the new I'm Glad It's You album. came out earlier this year through our friends at 6131 Records. Um, if you like what you hear, go to 6131records.com or check out I'mGladIt'sYou.Bandcamp.com and learn more about I'm Glad It's You. Get yourself a vinyl copy, stream it wherever you want to stream it. I'm going to share three songs throughout the episode for you. You just heard... A little bit of one of the one song. I'm going to share another one in a little bit, and then you'll hear a full song. That, you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know how I do it, how I show the music. But I'm really excited. Really love this album. Really glad that Casey's a big fan of it too, so we can make that. Um, we can make the, a good pairing with the music and the guests this time around. Really stoked for that. So yeah, let's get into this conversation with Casey. Really great, really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. So I'm sitting with my friend Casey Arn. How are you, Casey? I'm doing well. Yeah. Sunny Sunday in Oregon. You know, we don't get a lot of those, you know, other than the summertime. Yeah. I miss the summers in Oregon, though. They are nice. They are not Mm -hmm. humid and fairly temperate. Yeah. It's the opposite of here. So I woke up for a run and it was like 8 a.m., 79 degrees and a billion percent humidity so i loved it it was great it's a lot of humidity it was a lot of humidity it was very thick you could slice it with a knife nice the atmosphere (laughs) (laughs) um so funny enough uh casey and i are from the same state at least like uh, that's where we that's where casey is that's where i'm from um but we were never friends while i lived there (laughs) We didn't know each other when I lived there. I think so, the way we became friends was there was a Instagram post that was just about a record and you liked it. And then you checked out my feed and saw that I was a Portland Trailblazers fan. And that's yep. where our friendship was born. Huzzah. Yes. And now we've been friends for a few years and we have our own text threads and stuff. And Yes, we do. And you've probably heard Casey a few times <laughs> over the last couple of years on our year end podcast or podcast episodes about our favorite albums but now i'm actually going to talk to casey about uh what he does in the education world so casey can you tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do yeah i am a now just finished out my 15th year of teaching high school and i've not taught high school exclusively but i have spent most of my time there i was spent three years as a junior high teacher i've been at my current role as a chemistry and physics teacher in a really small school district in Oregon, even though I live kind of close to Portland, I commute to this little tiny rural school, school district and um, teach high school uh, there. And it's, it's pretty great. And I even spent a few years in England teaching as well. Me and my wife moved there for two years and I worked at a comprehensive high school and so, or a secondary school, I should say, uh, which was also very interesting. So I have a few opinions on things that we could be doing better and things that we do much better than the UK. Hmm. So anyway, we probably need a little bit. When I got over there, it was like, oh, yeah, we don't do anything the same, except for there is vaguely the concept of, like, attendance. We take attendance. Okay. That's about it. Like, testing, (laughs) homework, classroom management. Like, it was all, like, everything I had known was out the window. So it was was interesting. What time in your career, at what point in your career did you go do that? I don't think I've ever known. 
Um, about five years, six and seven. So okay. I was, a, so yeah, I kind of, where I started at the very beginning, I actually, before I even had a teaching credential, taught at a private school, got my credential while I was doing that sub for a year while I looked for a job and finished my credential. And then, and also finished my master's and then got a job for a few years at a junior high and then off to England. Hmm. Okay. Then I came back, I found my job in my current role and have been there ever since. Hmm. Wild. Yeah. It was, it was fun times. What uh, made you like eventually, what made you want to like get into doing education to begin with? So my, the way it came about for me was I loved science in high school. Like I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do at all until probably my sophomore year of high school. And I had a really good biology teacher and she kind of inspired me to really love the subject. And I originally thought like when I graduated high school or kind of moving towards that, I was like, Oh, I'd like to become a high school teacher. But then I thought, I don't know. I like, you know, science so much. I don't know so much about like managing kids and all that stuff. So maybe I'd like to be a doctor. And so I went to school and I was pre-med for about a year and a half. And then I realized I really did not want to be a doctor. (laughs) As much as I love science and I like the idea of like making like a good paycheck and stuff. I was like, Oh man, like, I feel like I'm just as smart as everyone in this class, but they're all willing to work a lot harder than I am. Not to say that you don't work hard in education, but I, I tell kids that all the time. I'm like, Oh, so you want to be a doctor? Like be realistic about this. Like I told myself, I was like, I can study for anywhere between 20 and 30 hours a week. The kids who were in class with me and who were doing really well, were putting in at least 60 to 70 hours outside of class, just studying and working Mm -hmm. and reading and doing all that stuff. And like, I just moved from Oregon to Southern California and lived in Orange County. I was like five minutes from the beach. I was like, man, I want to be in a band and surf and hang out with my friends. And yeah, I got lots of time to study. Like 23 hours a week is not nothing. Yeah. But I just didn't, I was like, like these people don't have boyfriends and girlfriends. They don't have, you know, like, like they don't live on campus. They're living off campus. They're spending all of their time doing this. And I just realized that that wasn't going to be something that I was into. Hmm. You know? So I got to about midway through sophomore year and was like, maybe there's other avenues in edu- in science that I can do. And so I kind of toyed around with the idea of maybe doing like research stuff or going to work for a lab and quickly realized that I didn't particularly love doing just corporate lab work just because I did an internship for a little bit and just thought, well, what the hell, I'll try my hand at, at teaching. And I, I ended up really, it worked out because it was kind of my last bastion of what I wanted to do. And it was what I kind of wanted to do originally. And I ended up loving it. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's been really fun. It has all the things in a job that I like. That's good. Yeah. That's what you want, right? Yes. You want to enjoy what you do. Yeah. And I guess, well, I should probably say what that is. So <laughs> I was going to say, what are the things that you enjoy? <laughs> so I like high school better than anything else. I don't think I could ever move back to teaching middle school or ever do elementary school. Like I, when I subbed, I never even subbed elementary school. That sounds like my own private version of hell. Oh, I imagine. Yes. 100%. So with high school, at least you get kind of like a little bit of a mentorship role and like you kind of get these full, like nearly formed human beings that are starting to kind of like, you know, develop their own ideas and you can kind of have an adult conversation with them or like, you know, get their viewpoints on things. Whereas like when I thought middle school, you know, you, you're just not 
they're not in the way that you, they're not going to be able to talk to you about like opinions on things or politics or whatever, even like sports. Like, you know, I try to like engage, I was living in Orange County, so everyone's a Lakers fan. I was trying to engage like kids on like, oh, the merits of Brandon Roy versus Kobe Bryant. And they're just like, Brandon Roy sucks. Kobe Bryant's a god. I'm like, okay, well, can we have like a more nuanced conversation about this? Nope. Like, no, he sucks. He sucks. <laughs> because he's not, you know, like, so whereas in high school, <laughs> maybe you could like actually, you know, not <laughs> have a little bit more of an in-depth conversation. So it's yeah. like more intellectually engaging to talk with kids and not all of my jokes fly over their heads. So a lot of wasted material in my years in junior high. Yeah. <laughs> but mainly, I don't know, every job I've ever had, I, besides like the fact that it's rewarding, every job I ever had, I get really bored with mm-hmm. uh, pretty quickly. And so even though students are always like, oh, how can you stand being a teacher? Like you have to put up with all this, you know, stupid BS every day. Be like, well, I was like, it makes it interesting. Like I never look at the clock. Like I worked as like a bank teller and a Starbucks and it's one of those sign spinners on the side of the road. And, the whole time I'd just be staring at my watch saying, when is this day going to be over? Whereas like teaching that bell rings before, you know, I even have time to finish my thought, it seems like. And so the day really goes by quickly because you're just mentally engaged the entire time. And since I get to teach a different lesson every day, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't have to repeat myself for at least another year or, you know, I teach (laughs) a lot of preps. So even throughout the day, I never repeat myself more than twice. So it's just really, you know, it keeps me, it keeps my mind focused and engaged and there. And, you know, I have to be, I tend to be a procrastinator and with teaching, there's no procrastination because Mm -hmm. those kids are coming into your room and you better have something to do because if you don't, it's going to be bad. So it provides my procrastinator's mind with that, with that impetus to, to get stuff done. And so, and beyond that, I love science and I've actually think I've become pretty good at teaching it. So, Hey, there's, yeah. there's a, a good thing. Yeah. It's like the worst superpower ever is I'm really good at explaining complex chemistry and physics concepts to 16 and 17 year olds. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. I can break it down for them. So it's, it's, it's been really fun and I really do, you know, enjoy my job. Even the, even the difficult parts and the stuff with administration that you sometimes like clash mm-hmm. heads over it's all worth it because like in the end i don't know you get you get to have fun at work for the most part you know there's days where i want to bang my head against the wall but then there's also days where kids are like oh my gosh like you know you get to go to graduation and kids tell you all the stuff that they never tell you during the school year about how yeah. much they played your class i was like really i thought you hated me yep i've done i did a talk at a college in texas uh two years ago and mm-hmm. during it I could see like this group of guys in the back, just like not engaged, did not care. And there was like an auditorium. There was like a hundred and some students there. And at the end of it, at the end of the talk, uh, people came up and said hi and talked to me a little bit. And these guys like hung around and I was like, Hey, you guys just like chilling. They came up and they're like, that talk was really great. And um, we just wanted you to know that, but we didn't want to say anything during the talk. I'm like, you could have you could have engaged at any point but it's fine like some people just have a hard time saying it in the moment (laughs) yeah or it's funny I've noticed that like every kid that I or every student that I've ever taught who was kind of like a a pain in the butt during class you know just like you know a lot of classroom management issues or whatnot every single one of them I always think to this day 
eight years of teaching at the same high school. It's a tiny town. So like I see these kids out in amongst the, like this, the town and stuff after they graduate. And I always think I'm waiting for one of them to come up and be like, F you, man, I freaking hated you. <laughs> but unanimously, they always come up and say, sorry for being such a pain in the ass. Like, huh. That's odd. Like all of a sudden they're out of context and everything else. And like, they're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was being a jerk the whole time. I was like, really? Like I'm this shocking self-awareness for like a 19 year old, you yeah. know, yeah. like a 22 year old, but it's funny. Like as soon as they graduate, they're just like, Oh yeah, we're cool. So great. Yeah. Um, I should also say that, um, uh, in my role as chemistry and AP physics teacher, I also uh, do all the stu- school discipline. We don't have a vice principal. So mm. I have one period of day where I handle all the low level, low level discipline stuff. So uh, if there's like a big fight or drugs or something that goes straight to the principal, but just like yeah. the standard, you know, high school, like, Oh, this kid's talking too much in my class or, you know, they were rude to me. They usually come to me first. So mm. Do you need to take care of Jude? (laughs) No, his mom, his mom is uh, giving him a bottle. So sorry Hmm. for the crying in the background. Oh, no worries. Also a recent father. Oh yeah. Uh, Casey and his wife bought a baby. So (laughs) that's like the way that I like to think about it. Adoption, purchase, (laughs) purchase, whatever. As an adopted child, you did a great thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, well, see, that's there you go. I forget yeah. that you're adopted, Craig. Uh-huh. Yeah. Come, come hell or high water, someone was going to have to raise me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so you have to do that other disciplinary role. How does – so I don't ima- – like, I can't imagine, like, a student not liking you, just knowing you as a person. Because I mean, I like you, and I think I'm a pretty good uh, uh, barometer of character. So having those like different roles, does that like complicate some of your relationships with students? Not, not really. So I would say that at school, the way I am perceived as a human being is when kids are all freshmen. So I teach every single freshman. Like I said, small school, I have two classes of integrated science. So that's just a mandatory freshman um, uh, science class. All of them, usually around spring break, are like, oh, wow, you're like kind of a nice person. Or like, you're like a human being. Because I guess with them, I'm just a little bit more serious up front. Because, you know, I want them to have a certain level of respect in my classroom. And mm-hmm. not mean, but I also have what... Uh, I guess you could call it like resting whatever face. Like they call it at school. It's become known as resting arm face. Uh, Yeah, I get that. (laughs) They're like, you look mad all the time. And I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm actually not really having any feelings right now. Like most of the time, our students always accuse me of that. They're like, oh, why aren't you happier? Why why do you seem so mad all the time? I'm like, oh, I'm actually not mad. I'm like, I'm I'm just at work. Like, you know, I'll be happy when I get to go home and (laughs) hang out. Like, but, you know, right now I'm just like, I just tend to be really uh, myopic in what I'm doing. And so I found that being super happy or super sad doesn't really help me in my job. So I'm just trying to get stuff done and, you know, like I'll smile if something's funny, but at the same time, I just I guess I don't give off an overly cheery personality while I'm at work. 
but it's it serves to it serves me well because you know students take things seriously and then you know if they take my class again or towards the end of the year I kind of get to open up a little bit or let some of my humor or whatever shine through then it then it's great you know yeah uh but in the discipline role um I've found that I get along with those kids really well uh, just because I tend to be just as a human being, I tend to be pretty low pulse um, and just not a lot, especially 15 years in really gets me riled up. So, you know, kids can say what they want to say or do whatever else. It's not going to get me to really react. And uh, I think they in general like that because I don't come in and get all hot and mad at them. I'm just like, Hey man, what's going on? Like, let's talk about it. You know, like, and that's, I found that a conversation solves 90% of behavior issues, if not more, like, yeah. you know, just like pulling a kid aside and saying, Hey, what's going on? Like, and I always tell them too, cause I'm not, I'm not really interested in punishing them. Like, it's not about like suspending you or giving you detention. It's just saying, here's the problem. The problem is you have a bunch of people around you and this is distracting from the learning environment. And it's important for this, this, and this reasons and the teacher's kind of at their wits end and they're a human being too that needs to be treated with as much respect as you do. So what can we do to make this situation better? And just kind of taking this collaborative approach to it of saying like, why did that make you mad? Why, when the teacher says this, do you do this? Like, just like, let me know. And then we can try to problem solve that together. And so it's a lot of me asking them what's going on and asking them to come up to solutions. Cause I'll mm -hmm. say, you know, this kind of, you know, if a kid has 10 tardies in two weeks, I'm like, well, this kind of behavior can't continue. So what can I do to help? you know, or what can your teachers do to support you in doing this? And, you know, it works like 95% of the time. And they usually kind of come up with something good. They're like, well, it's, you know, it's this, this, and this. And maybe if I had some support here and you offer them that support and you'd be astonished at how, you know, well students can do, you know, mm -hmm. you just kind of have to realize. And I think this is a really early teaching mistake is that things are very rarely personal and just because a kid popped off in your class or treated you unfairly or was rude to you doesn't really have, you know, a lot to do with you. So it's just important not to get into a big power struggle and realize that, well, these kids have full lives, you know, that's more than just school and they bring a lot into it. So, you know, I mean, every once in a while you get your kid that's just a pure sociopath, but it's rare, <laughs> you know, oh, like yeah. just where they have perfectly normal everything in their life and you know, are quote unquote normal and, you know, they just act a certain way and their parents can't figure it out. But usually you can be pretty quick to identify what's going on. And, and I think kids like being treated or students like being treated like adults and just saying, what's going on? How can I support you? Like, this isn't me being mad at you. And that kind of disarms them, you know, because they're kind of have their guard up. You know, yeah. just like, uh, well, this is just going to be another person who's coming down on me. But I'm always like, I have no interest in that. I mean, if, if you need detention, if that's going to solve the problem, then we'll do detention. If you need to be suspended and you feel like that's going to fix everything, then we'll suspend you. But like, is that really going to do much? Like, I'd rather just fix the problem. Yeah. It's the, it's the level of like transformative, like behavior adjustment rather than like trying to get them to go back to the similar ways that they've been acting. You want to like transform that behavior. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I, I see that a lot when I, I taught high school for a couple of years and uh, it was a wild experience because I was just way too young at the time um, to be teaching high school. So um, 
when I went through that, it was like a big learning experience and not basically everything that you've explained is stuff that I didn't do. I've, I'm too much of an emotional person. Uh, and I had to learn really quickly that I have to maintain a better understanding of how these students need to be supported and whatnot. And then I just kind of was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a break, go to graduate school, start over new. And that's what I ended up growing up a little bit and becoming a better, like more understanding person in the education realm because I didn't do a very good job of it to begin with. Yeah, with teaching, it's, it's, that's kind of the whole thing. Like teaching, there's a lot of theory behind it, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is super, super valid. And the stuff they teach you in like teacher college or, you know, teaching classes is really good, like pedagogy and, and like whatever else you need. But so much of it is just, and it sucks because you can't learn it except for doing it. It's just mm-hmm. like half of it is, is knowing, having good strategies and learning stuff. And I'm always learning and adjusting my teaching strategies, but like so much of it is just feel, you know, and it's just like, it takes, <laughs> it takes a couple years of experience to really get good at it because you got to be able to read like, you know, hundreds of different situations uh, with students all the time. And I have students that walk in and I know that some of them, if I press them a little bit, it's going to provide the response that I want. Like if I'm like just a little bit stern with them, they're not going to take it super personally. They're just going to be like, okay, sorry. Like I'll get to work and I'll get done what I need to get done or I'll stop talking or I'll stop distracting others. Whereas others, you know, I can tell immediately just from a kid's countenance and the way they're behaving that that's not going to work for them. Mm. And so then I don't do that because, you know, (laughs) as human beings for dynamic individuals and, multifaceted and you need to be able to read that and see like, Oh, I'm starting to press in on this and it's not going the way I want it. I'm not going to double down. I'm going to back off and try something else, you know? And like, usually part of that is just, you know, getting to know your students. Whereas I think probably when you and me were in high school, I don't think our teachers did that as much. Like I definitely had teachers that did that, but I think teaching has really changed in the last 20 years Mm -hmm. to become this, you know, kind of realizing (laughs) as, and, and, Probably, you know what, students are probably dealing with more stuff now, or at least there's a couple new fronts on which they're dealing with stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we're at least what? a little bit more aware of some of the things that they're being a little bit more vocal about. Because like growing up, no one talked about their mental health and height. Like, we never talked about mental health. We never really talked about like sexual orientation stuff. We never really talked about anything with gender. Like the kids these days are... We are a little bit more attuned with what's going on with themselves than I think we were coming up. Yeah. And that's a weird space to be in too, especially with the school I'm at because the school I'm at is like I said, rural. So you still kind of get a little bit of that small town vibe, but then the kids are obviously on the internet as well. So sometimes there's like a real kind of clash of those ideals because you know, some kids who are very conservative, you know, and like wearing like, you know, make America great again hats and then like other kids who are very, very kind of on that forefront of just like, yeah, let's talk about this stuff. And like, you know, it's getting better, but even like probably five years ago, it was interesting to watch because, you know, you just have some kids be like, and, you know, I, I had kids like walking into class and being like, Mr. Arm, what do you think? Two genders? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you think there's, there's two genders? And then, you know. Yikes. I, yeah. <laughs> And then my typical response is, you know, I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm like, listen, like, 
I guess I'm not going to tell you what to think or what to believe or whatever, but my whole thing is just like, well, if, if someone says that they're non-binary and, you know, want to be called they, then just do it. It doesn't really matter if you agree with them or not. Like, just be a kind person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can go ahead and philosophically disagree with that in your head, but, you know, we're living in a society where you can grapple with that, you know. I can't tell you how to think, but, you know, so I always am taking a pretty... Uh, neutral approach to things of just like I know it seems odd to you because you've been in this little town your entire life and maybe not been exposed to as much stuff but you know yeah it's out there like you like you can you can deal with it it's fine yeah 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 even if something seems that I mean everything sounds different when you first hear about it mm-hmm. and then as you kind of like get used to it it's like oh yeah it's just like anything else you know yeah I totally so, agree. That's always been my approach to things. It's just been like, cause sometimes they'll, yeah, it, sometimes it really catches me off guard. Like they'll come in with some like thing and I'll just have to like, okay, I, sorry guys, I got to teach like gas laws today. Like I don't yeah. have time to like deconstruct <laughs> gender identities on the fly for a mass audience. <laughs> really caught me off guard with this one, bud. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm always like, you want to come talk about this stuff. I'll give you my thoughts and opinions on it or whatever else. But you know, my general thoughts and opinions are keep an open mind and always be learning. Like, you know, you're going to get stuff that challenges reality and you should very quickly be able to absorb new information and adapt what's going on. You don't need to be married to any one idea. Lord knows I'm not. Mm -hmm. You need to be really okay with being wrong. Like I have thoughts and opinions on things that someone can present new information. I'd be like, Oh yeah, cool moving on. Like, I guess I had the, that my initial reaction to that was not correct. And I'm changing that about myself and moving on, you know, and the funny thing is, is I feel like having a a kind of policy about that of always be learning is like, if your true goal is to always be right, you know, or to always be correct or to always be whatever, well, by being wrong, that gets you closer to being right. You know? Yeah. Like you get presented with new information and you get to up, just like bring it all home with science. You know, the original atomic model is not the atomic model today, but every single iteration of it got, you know, closer and closer to it. So with all of these things, keep an open mind, like absorb the information. Don't be super married to one idea or another and always be willing to change your mind. It's, it's totally fine. That's one of the things that's really bothered me with this whole mask wearing thing is everyone's like, Oh, check out this interview with Dr. Fauci from, from March where he's saying, don't wear a mask. And then now he's saying, dude, he's flip-flopping. It's like, no, he's, it's just an iterative process. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, guess what? Back then that was the information they had. And I think why he said don't wear a mask is because they were worried about people hoarding masks the way they were hoarding toilet paper and then health professionals wouldn't have access to them who needed mm-hmm. them most of that time. And now we've ramped up supply. And so now, yeah, it's better to wear a mask than not. Like, it's there just like masks are everywhere now. Yeah. I can't find them in bulk at target. My Instagram feed is nothing but mask companies yep. trying to sell me cool, cool masks. You know? I just have my trailblazers one. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like I, I just don't like, and granted this is probably only people I went to college with on Facebook friends with, you know, just like spouting off their own ideas, but it's just like, when did it become so horrible to be wrong about something? Like, because when you're wrong about something, then you actually get to learn. That's what learning is. Mm-hmm. You have ideas, you learn, you update those and you, you move on. 
like the path made by your memory when it circles around my mind. Following footsteps left behind, but the more I live for you, the less of you I find. That was a little bit of a new song from I'm Glad It's You, the title track from their new album, Every Sun, Every Moon, out now on 6131 Records. Before we get to another song, let's get through another segment of Talking with Casey Arn. Hope you're enjoying it. Here we go. So you and I met because of vinyl collecting, and that's kind of the only reason we stay friends, right? Um... Yeah, well, I mean, if we weren't friends with you, then me and Scott couldn't have our private, you know, shit-talking thread. You need to keep on giving us ammo. <laughs> keep on bagging on you behind your back. <laughs> That's valid. Uh, so I'm actually, I know a little bit about the story, but when did you start collecting? So I started collecting because As Tall as Lions was releasing their Into the Flood EP. Mm. And they were not doing a physical release of it aside from vinyl. Or they weren't doing a CD release. Uh, but if you bought the vinyl, you got the CD. So I was like, oh, and it's the same price. It was like 10 bucks. Yeah. And they just had like, you know, like the CD inside of it. So I was like, well, that's the only re- reason I can get it. And I literally just pulled the vinyl like out of its packaging. And I was like, this is really cool. And, you know, I didn't have a record player or anything. I just wanted the CD so I could rip it onto my computer and, and have it to play because I was only collecting CDs at the time, probably like 2007. And went into a local record store, bought like another, saw another album that I was like, oh, that's cool. I think I'll buy that. And like, there was another, and I had like three pieces of vinyl and then, I don't know, it just clicked. I kind of saw the way, where things were going with CDs, you know, and didn't really, like digital music's cool, but I don't want that to be my, I really always liked physical media you know, whether it be CDs or DVDs or tapes or whatever, way back when. And yeah, it's kind of like, and I'm a natural collector. Like I love collecting stuff. And especially when you started throwing in, like, I remember doing my early research and being like, Clarity comes on four different colors. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. Oh, and it just kind of like, you know, and granted, I've kind of started to leave variant collecting behind. Um, other than completing a few collections I started early on. Um, that was a big part of it is like, I love that collection aspect, you know, and it probably came into my life late twenties, right when I was having my first real jobs, but no kids and not a lot of bills. So it's like had some disposable income for the first time. Didn't really care about nice clothes or nice cars or a nice living situation. Just kind of like, Oh yeah, I got some disposable income to spend on some records and and just kind of went from there. Yeah. Because um, I know that you, so you kind of forecasted that CDs were going to be going out and vinyl was going to be coming in. And I didn't, I didn't know that it would be coming in to the extent that it did. Like I always say I got in maybe a year ahead of the real boom yeah. you know, where everything got driven up in price. So I had like this really primed year where I got a ton of records that ended up skyrocketing in value. Not that I care that they're worth anything because I'm not going to sell them, but I wouldn't have been able to buy, I wouldn't have been able to consciously like 
or in good conscience buy them mm-hmm. you know but it's like granted it's being repressed now but like i remember back then like brand news deja and tondu which mm-hmm. now can't even listen to anyway yeah but at the time it was like oh i bought that for 30 dollars and then for the next 10 years it was hundreds three hundred dollar record yeah you know and so it was nice to be able to kind of get in on that ground floor and i actually started hanging out at my local record store called green records uh which was ran by these two guys jeff and dirk of a lot of bands but the one of the main ones being staves acre fame uh, they were the guitar player and bass player for that band and it had ended and they had this little record store and that they had bought and uh, I started hanging out there so much. They're like, Hey, do you want to watch the store on Sundays? Hmm. So that became like, and I didn't get paid anything. I just got paid, you know, like $11 an hour store credit. Hey. And, so, and they were like, Hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, yes. And they're like, do you care if we pay you in store credit? I was like, even better. I was like, because <laughs> that's where I'd be spending it anyway. <laughs> I was like, if I get paid in money and I'm now, you know, newly minted married, well, then my wife can say, well, that money should be going in our bank account. But if I get store credit, it can all go towards records. <laughs> and so literally that. she was working nights and, um, or was just working nights a lot of the time. And so I'd get off school. It was on, in between school and home. And I just hang out for four or five hours until it closed, you know, just whatever, sitting there, you know, it was 10 years ago. I used to smoke cigarettes, but like smoke a cigarette with the guys who worked there and like talking, it was right next to Sid's tattoo shop. And so all the tattoo guys used to come in to, to, to use the Wi-Fi, and they were all, you know, kind of cool in the, in the scene dudes or whatever. So it was just kind of this cool little mix of people that used to hang out and just chat music the entire time and like, you know, throw skateboard DVDs on, on the TV that was in the shop. And it was just super fun. And then getting to work there was like a dream come true because it was just, that's, this is what I always wanted to do. I could just be around music browse collections as they came in, cherry pick the stuff I wanted. And it's also where I met Scott. Our oh, yeah. And who were on the text but he used to come in uh, quite frequently and we'd always chat. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that you guys had actually like been friends before. Yeah, we were friends for like a couple months and he played softball. And so I asked him to come sub in on our softball team for like a season because we needed somebody. And that's how we, and then we lost touch for years and then we got back in touch through Facebook and became fast friends again. And then met Craig and the three of us are all the music best friends. Yay. Yeah. I love it. Um, so being in on the ground floor, uh, vinyl right before it, like kind of boomed a little bit um what are your thoughts now on like the renaissance of vinyl and especially like i know we have thoughts about vinyl instagram i'm just curious about your your view as a little bit of an older man in the vinyl realm what are your what are your thoughts on on this vinyl renaissance i mean i think it's cool like i'm i'm super happy like if you would have talked to the early version of me and granted like i'm trying to think of when it really kind of came about because there, there would be like you know punk and hardcore guys especially hardcore guys they were always into vinyl like mm-hmm. that was always kind of like their thing so like yeah. me saying like i definitely came late 2007 was late to the game you know in fact like in terms of that kind of thing so i won't claim credit of being like always been into it like it was out there but 
I don't know. It's it's really cool. I love seeing all the stuff get repressed. Like I used to be like, oh, I buy this record and now it's worth so much, and I don't want it to get repressed because then it'll go down in value. But now I'm just like, repress whatever you want. Like I'm not doing any variant collections anymore for anything. Like sometimes I think stuff gets repressed into oblivion, but you know, it's just cool to see so many people doing it. And then you have people who are really, really like, for example, like the guy who runs the unoriginal vinyl Instagram and their record label, like guys who are really into it and they're doing some cool stuff that like, I've talked to him for a while. He's like, I think like seven people probably appreciate that I'm doing this. You know? <laughs> well, like, they did the O sleeper press. So he's like, I got really excited. Well, so that was really cool. But like, there's a podcast that's called the labeled podcast. It's like a tooth and nail history podcast, but they have him on that because he's working with tooth and nail. So heavily, but so all the original art files for those albums that he's pressing right now are gone. Like you can just get small digital images, but so he's having to recreate from scratch the album art, like on his computer. I didn't realize pictures that. Pictures and photos and all it, it, it's pretty insane. And he's got such an insane attention to detail. That's really cool. So I just love that guys like that and guys like um, Christian from limited to one and, and you know, like uh, the hopes fall, you know, uh, drummer purge before you binge, like they've kind of become these ambassadors to the vinyl community. And it's, I don't know. It's really cool. And I do like the community aspect to it. So all positive interactions there. That being said, uh, vinyl is really heavy and it sucks when you have to move or if your house floods. Oh yeah. And you have to move it all really quickly. Then it's very, very uh, not good, but I, I don't know. It's, it's super fun. I think you can definitely go overboard with it, but at the same time, like now I feel like my collection just sustains itself. Like I just recently sold probably, 15 albums and that gave me money to buy another 30 albums. Yeah. You know, stuff I didn't listen to or variants that had gone up in value and I didn't really want variants, like certain variants anymore. And yeah, it's kind of fun. Like I like selling it too and I like trading it. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Instagram community is one of those things that explicitly is kind of like kept me involved wanting to like, um, it honestly is like the front line of when I learned that new stuff is out. Like yes. that's like the main reason. Cause I don't go on a lot of like the chat boards or anything like that. But like when I see something in someone's story or a record label has posted something like mm-hmm. people's people are always resharing it. And like, that's where I'm like, Oh, all right. I better jump on this because yeah, that's, where I, that's where I learn about all of it too. Like it's just through all through Instagram. I think in the early days it was more message board based. Like, mm-hmm. Got message boards like Dead Format, which I still miss. That was my original kind of message board I was on, um, and mi- missed that whole thing. I still proudly wear my Dead Format hoodie everywhere, and will continue mm. to sew, sew up the holes in it forever, so I can continue wearing it. But um, and like Viva La Vinyl and even Vinyl Collective, that kind of thing. But now it's definitely gone to Instagram. Like I yeah. barely ever go on Vinyl Collective anymore to see what's being released or check people's threads or whatever to see what they're selling. Um, yeah, I the just, Instagram community is rad. Like yeah, I love it because like you'll have like a good people will start to learn what you like, and yeah. they'll they'll look out for you. Like I yep. have a buddy who will always share with me like Sufjan Stevens stuff. Like if he finds it, it's like, hey, 
you got to jump on this or I'll tell people like stuff that I'm looking for and they'll like go find it. Like I was talking to a buddy about blood, blood brothers and he went and found me a copy that wasn't on my want list on discogs and ended up having blood brothers crimes in my apartment about a week later. And that blew me away. Just like people looking out for you. That's rad. I remember because you said, Hey Casey, because you've done this before. You said, would you sell me this? And a lot of times I'll say yes. You said Blood Brothers Crimes. I was like, sorry, one copy. And I love that record. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's one of my top albums of all time. And um, uh, one of my favorite things that just recently happened is I had a, I ordered a copy of Copeland's Exora and uh, it showed up bent. Um, and you remember, I remember sharing that with you. And the guy who sold it to me, like I was just messaging with him through Discogs and he was like, well, you know what? Would you rather have a black version or a clear version? And I was like, clear would be fine. Do you have another? He's like, yeah, let me just send you this one. And I was like, really? You don't need to do that, but like, thank you. And he's like, yeah, and I'll get insurance this time. (laughs) So anytime I ship out a record that has more than $50 value, I'm getting insurance on it now. I know I get so nervous sending out some stuff, especially when it has to go overseas or whatnot, because it's like, you know, I if I'm selling something, I'm grading it a certain way. I'm like, I can't help it if the, you know, I pack my stuff really well, but some of the stuff just gets corner bends. And mm-hmm. I don't particularly care about any of my records on that front because my goal, even my variant collections is to listen to all of them. So even like, you know, like I have a pretty robust and I think complete, rice variant collection i'll still throw on my rarest copies of stuff just because it's like oh yeah it looks cool and Mm -hmm. like i don't have any you know marriage to any one of them where it's like oh i gotta keep this one pristine you Mm -hmm. know but i think you have the most you have the most finished thrice discography i imagine maybe next to dustin kinsler himself oh i don't think he has them all oh really no in fact i know he doesn't interviewed him for typing stereo he was like yeah, I really wish I would have saved a few. Because <laughs> I know he, I know he's a vinyl guy. So, yeah, because that was a big deal when they pressed Visu the first press. Like he had to really go to the label and say, "Hey, we want to do this." And they didn't want to do it, so he got. I think it was Subsidy or maybe it was their previous record label to actually do the vinyl copies mm. of the original press of Visu, which is really cool, and that was like a big deal to him. Um, but yeah, they're that variant collection i'm so happy it's over with and for now I'm, toy- I'm toying with the idea of not going further with it but we'll see okay like so when the they- new when the new albums come out or whatever yeah or like you know if they go beyond the 10th pressing of something like i don't need that anymore yeah i did have someone when i posted i finally posted my picture of that whole thing of course i left off I always forget one. Whenever I do my big picture, I left off the deeper wells and feet. Um, but so I took that picture. It took like four hours to lay them all out, put them all away and get that picture. And then this one dude, this one dude came on and was like, I don't think this is complete. And I was like, well, you know, I didn't put any of the black versions in because they just don't, you know, I had limited space and they just don't, black vinyl just doesn't exactly look super cool like yeah or i will put in one you know but if there's four different pressings of black vinyl i'm not putting those all out there like because the only difference is on the back of the uh of their sleeve it says you know like uh epitaph europe 
Like that's the only difference in that variant. I'm not going to lay that out for a picture. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but he was like, "What about this, this, and this?" And I was like, "I got, I got all those." So don't worry, man. He's like, oh, "Okay, I do think you have a complete set." So, <laughs> as far as I know, I've seen one other person ever have the thrice everything, and so who knows if they've kept it up or not. But I know there's one other person out there. But as far as I know, we're the only two. So you really like thrice? <laughs> <laughs> Who else would be uh, variant collected? You have a couple, though, others, right? Yeah, and so they're all ones that I got really far along with early on before it cost too much money. So, like, with Thrice, you know, those copies of Beggars, granted, they're probably down now because there's a recent repress, but, like, you know, 100, 150 bucks each. But, you know, if there was 12 versions of that Beggars record, I probably got eight of them when they're on the store shelves at Hot Topic. Hmm. You know, so, like, I went to all the Hot Topics in the area because they were carrying it. And I would take my, it was probably a jerk move, but I would take my razor blade and I would open it up and I would see what color it was because they weren't saying, and then I would buy it. Yep. And so I think I did buy every single copy I razor bladed open. So. This year, honest. I'd, I'd get them for a friend. But anyway, so maybe it was a jerk thing to do, but it's been pretty well repressed now. So I don't feel so bad about it. You have one, right? Yeah. It took me a little while. Scott sold me one, then I sold it, and then I got a new one. It's yeah. fine. And then I have the Get Up Kids. Um, I have a pseudo saves the day, but I haven't collected the new record because I don't really like it all that much. So I think I might be done on my saves the day collection. And they just announced like a 13th pressing of three being cool. And I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to buy any of these new ones. Like I have like, you know, I have a pseudo Jimmy World collection, but I'm kind of done with that one as well. Um, and then Gates, uh, the anniversary, and I think that's it. Oh, Poison hmm. the Well. Poison the Well? Yeah, and The Bled. There you go. There's all of them. Hey! But so there's a lot of bands. Like Jimmy World, like, I don't need to variant collect them anymore. I'm kind of starting to be like, if I want to do a variant collection of something, maybe I'll just do all the variants of the first press or something hmm. like that, or of the album that I really like. Yeah. So that's where I'd kind of like laid off into and i'm thinking about selling them i used to have a complete every time i die set but i sold all those off except for one copy of each not that i don't love every time i die i was just like "Uh, i don't think i want to continue on buying like if they repress some of these older albums like i don't i really want to spend like 150 dollars buying albums i already have three copies of so Mm -hmm. i'm not going to go all the way i might as well sell them and that's what i'm starting to kind of feel about some of my other ones as well so we'll see they may hit they may hit the uh, Discogs for sale section soon. Not the Thrice, not the Get Up Kids, but a few of the other ones. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I've, I've been cleaning out a little bit here and there. I did a massive mystery box sale like recently. That was fun. Got rid of a lot of stuff. Trying to do an, a one-in, one-out kind of deal these days. Yeah, I'm trying to hover my collection around about a 1,000 out. So I have a bunch of seven inches and I do need to kind of clear some of those out as well, but those don't take up a lot of space. So I'm trying to hover around having about a thousand LP nice. records. And so recently I just listed a bunch for sale and already a bunch of it sold. So I was pretty stoked on that. So still a little bit of money here and there. Yeah, it's nice. And then I have money to uh, buy more records or sometimes I think I'm going to get a new app. I, I called Scott. I was having a real crisis the other day. Cause I was like, 
someone bought this deer hunter box set that I had and I had left it sealed because when I bought it, I was like, maybe I'll want it. Maybe I won't, but I know it's going to go up in value. And then we had our son and I was like, yeah, I should probably sell it and get the money from that. But then I was like, well, okay, now I can either buy with the money I got from that, either buy a new Apple watch or sing the sorrow <laughs> AFI's album, which oh. is like white whale and easily over $400. And so yeah. I was like, I, I call this guy. I was like, what should I do? He's like, buy the Apple Watch. You'll use it every day. You can listen to Sing with Sorrow on visual media. I'm like, you're absolutely right. I don't need to have that. They're going to repress it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. So, Hopefully. So there you go. The variant collector thing was definitely like, drew me into the collector thing, but I'm, I'm over it now. I would never, I would never start a new one. There's no, there's albums I love and I have no no desire whatsoever to own more than one copy there and there are some folks in the the vinyl community right now that like get into it get into it hard and see like how hard like variant collecting is like i was never going to do that but like it is a hard thing to do because then it's like i feel like some of the people i've talked to about it is like just becomes like super consuming and especially with like how some of the bands are like on dance gavin dance's most recent album there was one pressing that you could only get if you bought like a collector's bundle of six records so you had to buy all six records to get that one that you needed like that's how some labels are like doing it now it's so intense but they know that some people will do it i know that's what thrice did i, I know it wasn't them it was their label but they had two variants that you could only get by ordering a bundle with two of the other records that you already had. So it was kind of a pain. And that's why I like that, that situation made me pretty over it. Like where I was like, that's lame. I think the reason I sold out the every time I die collection is they came out with a one out of a hundred, but it came with this bundle with like, it was like an $150 bundle with like a sweatshirt and a flag and all this stuff I didn't have room for. I was like, yeah, I'm over it. And then once I'm once I'm not into it, I'm really not into it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, then I'll just sell off everything because either it's got to be complete or it's it's all for nothing. Mm. So anyway, as my shelves get full, I'll definitely purge a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. And plus, you know, make hay while the sun shines. Right now, people are willing to pay a premium for some of these older pressings. And like 30 years from now, that may not be the case. So you know, I've got my enjoyment out of them. I can make a little extra money to put towards you know buying more records or buying something that i want mm-hmm. did you get the yeah. apple watch not yet i'm waiting to see if they announce that they're doing a, a the six but i got i got money in my paypal there you go just sitting there i love seeing your activity it's great activity friends All right, it's the music break portion of the podcast, bringing you a new tune from the new I'm Glad It's You album, which is called Every Sun, Every Moon, which came out just recently on 6131 Records. The song I'm going to be sharing is called Silent Ceremony. It's one of my favorite songs from this uh, this year, actually. Uh, it's a very wonderful tune. The album itself is kind of sad, kind of a bummer, but it is presented in a very wonderful 
powerful way. And I think that folks, if you might like the songs you're hearing throughout this episode, you'll like the album. It's really, really, really good. So go to 6131records.com and get yourself a vinyl copy, a CD, digital copy, get yourself some clothing, some attire. I love rocking my 6131 shirt. I uh, wear it any chance I get, all the time. I wear it every day. I'm wearing it right now. No, I'm not, but I'm, I'll, I'll wear it tomorrow. I promise. Joey, if you're listening, I'll wear it whenever we go golfing soon. This song is really great. Uh, it is called Silent Ceremony. It is by I'm Glad It's You, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go.
That was Silent Ceremony by I'm Glad It's You. Make sure you pick up a copy of their new album, Every Sun, Every Moon, right now through 6131 Records. Stream it anywhere and everywhere. Go to imgladitsyou.bandcamp.com. Support the band. Support the labels. They do great work. They're putting out great tunes. Do it. Do it now for me. Do it for the band. Do it for everyone. Do it for music. Do it for happiness and joy. Do it for Casey. Casey Arn, who we're about to chat with as we close out the conversation right now. Here it is. Cool. So let's wrap this up. I'll ask you some quick questions about things you like in the world. And um, this will bring us to the end. Um, What's your favorite color? I mean, I'm always tempted to say black for my punk rock. That's fine. It's my favorite <laughs> color shirt to wear, but at the same time, I think I'll go with I'll go with green. Okay, nice sports green. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite type of food or specific like food to eat? I mean, probably Thai or Vietnamese, so something Southeast Asian. Cool. Nice. Um, what about your favorite place you've ever traveled? I know you've gone some places. Kelly asked me this recently. I mean, my favorite city in the world is Paris, but I mean, like, I don't know, probably probably Vietnam. We had a really surprisingly good time there. And my love of Vietnamese food, and it was quite good there. Oh, good. I imagine. But Vietnam is a a little bit off people's radar, really cool spot. Very, very friendly people. Still relatively cheap once you get there. Uh, Really beautiful area. Hmm. Nice. I've still never really traveled outside of the U.S., so I'm going to take your advice whenever we start doing that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> That's my goal. Um, what's your favorite book? Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Interesting. And that's What about the series? <laughs> the, like, six-hour movies or whatever. Yes. Uh, the Lonesome Dove and the Lonesome Dove like, m- movie are my two favorites. It's not my favorite movie, but those are both very good. The sequels and the prequels are very okay, but Lonesome Dove is my favorite book. I've read it, I think, three or four times. And then uh, closely followed by East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Oh, cool. Nice. Those are new ways anonymous, or synchronous, I should say. <clears throat> so what is your favorite movie then? Magnolia. Oh, okay. Interesting. Why is that one? Uh, it was one of those first movies where I saw it, it just kind of blew my mind. And I've always, I've gone back to it a bunch, you know, if you're going like, I mean, like it's hard to pick favorite movie because there's so many different genres of mm-hmm. whatever, but also right there in sync with it would probably be aliens and silence of the lambs. Like those are two movies that whenever they're on, I can just watch them. All of those movies, if they're on, I will watch them forever. They're at to the end. No matter mm. Cool. Um, what's your favorite TV show? Seinfeld. Hmm. What about more recent? More recent. Um, I will say. I, I guess I have to go Breaking Bad. I was gonna go. I was gonna say the second season of Fargo, and maybe just the entire Fargo series has been phenomenal to me for how good I. I did not know if it would be good, and it was absolutely great. But Fargo and Breaking Bad would be my two recent ones. I've been wanting to watch Fargo, so that'll that'll motivate me to do it. It's Maybe cool once I'm done with Steven Universe. 
Yeah, it's cool because the three seasons have very little to do with each other. Mm-hmm. They have the same DNA, but in the way they're told. But I love this whole new thing where it's like single season uh, storytelling because you can get a lot bigger actors to sign on for a single season, not a whole series. Mm-hmm. And you can take more kind of chances because you don't have to keep it going forever. Mm-hmm. So the second season, I think, was the best. Um, but first and third seasons are great as well. And they're, they share a couple little tie-ins to each other, but very little. You could watch them independently. Cool. Um, so I always end on music and I'm very curious, um, like all time albums for you and then stuff that you're listening to right now that you think people should listen to. All time records. Um, I've kind of thought about this recently because I was, I've been doing a little series on my Instagram of pictures of my son in the picture with a record. And so like the most influential albums of my life, uh, my number one all-time record, and this recently kind of catapulted forward because I just realized that no other album has more had more influence on me, and I enjoy no other record more than this, would be Smashing Pumpkins' Siamese Dream. Mm. Uh, when I heard that when I was in the eighth grade, um, I wore out the CD. I could not stop listening to it. And, and it's one of those albums that I still think holds up to this day. Like It's got enough of the things I like, like it's catchy and it's kind of got this real arena rock vibe while still being like interesting. And I don't know, it's, it's just, it's no other album that's had that sort of an influence on my life, like shaping what I would like going on into the future. Um, other than that, Get Up Kids, something to write home about, Mineral, Power of Failing, um, Receiving End of Sirens, uh, it's great. Come Now Sleep, As Cities Burn is one of my all-time favorite records. Uh, it's one of mine, too. Jimmy World Clarity is up there. Uh, Gates, Bloom and Breathe is in there uh, for, like, heavier stuff. Poison the Well, You Come For You is probably my favorite heavy record, closely followed by the first Blood record. Um, anyway, yeah, those are yeah. Those favorites. What's some stuff you're listening to this year that's got your attention? Man, this year's been such a weird year for music. Like, I feel like either, I don't know, maybe you feel this way. Craig, how old are you? I turned 33 this year. You turned 33. I turned 40 this year. Yeah. You're the oldest person I've interviewed. Great. (laughs) Um, It's interesting because I'm trying to decide if maybe I just don't connect with stuff as much as I used to because maybe i hear something you know like like for example the no no i use that example but like there's stuff that comes out i'm like oh this is really good but then it just kind of reminds me of stuff that i already kind of like and listen to and i kind of just want to go back to those classic records like Mm -hmm. i I was going to say the i'm glad it's you record that's going to end up on my top 10 for the year and i i really like that album a lot um and it just reminds me so much of like copeland beneath medicine tree like that kind of era yep. of stuff. But then it's like, I always wonder, it's like, I'm listening to it a lot right now, but will it stick? Or when I go to listen to that era of music five years from now, will I go to that record or will I just go to Beneath Medicine Tree? Because that's what I'm kind of in the mood for, you know? So it's, it'll be interesting to see kind of what sticks and what doesn't. Hmm. Um, but I read that kind of your thirties, your late twenties, early thirties are when things kind of cement in your brain as far as what you like. So there's still bands doing a lot of cool stuff. I've also really loved, um, seems like a couple of years, female-fronted uh, rock groups have been really doing it for me. 
So I'm trying to think. I love that uh, new, the Beths record. I love uh, Retirement Party is like a sleeper for me. Like that's just like, oh, I keep coming back to that album and really loving it. I really like the new Soccer Mommy record. Really like the new Hazel English and the new Waxahashie records. So a lot of uh, female, <laughs> female fronted or female band uh, coming up. And also, super excited for the new Svalbard. Yeah. Uh, uh, but recently, uh, that new Seer Believer record has been <laughs> on heavy rotation for me. Um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of it. Heavy stuff. I really like the end record. Um, Wasn't for me. I don't think that kind of hardcore is for me. Yeah, it's... I just like that it sounds like really old Converge and it's kind of got this, I like any hardcore metal record that hits that punk beat, you know, <laughs> fairly frequently. Yeah. It's like something I want to listen to all the time, but sometimes it's fun to listen to. There's uh, a new track on the new Misery Signals that does that. Yeah. I was like, oh. I got to give that some more time too. Oh, and I really like this band Charmer. Like that. that oh yeah. Charmer has been, was very, very good. And I also plug, um, I really actually like that because I just know the guy from Instagram, but he was like, hey, would you check my band out and like maybe buy the album? And I just thought it was really good, that new Shoegazers record. Hmm, not familiar. EP. It's quite good. Just kind of reminds me of like, I want to say like Midtown, like early Midtown, like just like hmm. fun Roswell kid-ish, you know, type of just like, oh, it's just like good, good pop rock, you know, with a little bit of a punk, a little bit of an emo influence uh, and really really enjoyed that and i really love the new dirty nil single and i really hope they're coming out with a new record because i'd be stoked on that you're a big dirty nil fan i know that i love that most recent record was like i come back to that all the time maximum maximum volume i think is that what it's called anyway um that one i love that record and the new one the new single is also very funny called done with drugs you'd like it i like that <laughs> says he hasn't found Jesus, hasn't got a job. He's just getting too old and got responsibilities. And so he's done with drugs. He hopes they're done with him. Oh, it's kind of nice. Yeah, said I never got a problem. Just have too many responsibilities now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Casey, thanks for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to see you in human form again. Yes, it'll be fun. And uh, always good chatting. We should get a little Zoom call with the Music Best Friends every once in a while. Yes, maybe before their their baby comes. <laughs> yeah, let's get it set up. Yep, uh, enjoy the game in a little bit. I will, and uh, you as well. And uh, please edit out my remarks about gypsies. <laughs> Can do. All right, take it easy. Later. Bye. Bye. That's it. That's it. That's that's the episode. That's that's the end of that one. We did it. Another episode done. Thanks, big thanks to Casey Arn for chatting with me this week on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Hope you enjoyed the tunes you heard throughout this episode, the I'm Glad It's You album. Every Sun, Every Moon is out now through 6131 Records. You can get a vinyl copy, a CD, digital copy. You can stream it wherever you get music into your earballs. Uh, please do that. Support the band. Support the labels. Go to ConnectEDU Network. Go go to the Connect Edu network. Go to connectedu.network. There it is. I got it. I figured it out. Connectedu.network to learn more about all the educational opportunities that are out there through our shared 
uh, network of podcasts and educational uh, resources. That's all I've got for this week. Next week, we'll be back with another new episode, or in two weeks, whenever the next episode comes out. That's when it'll come out. I'm not exactly sure. It'll come out when I'm ready for it to come out. I'm very uh, excited for some of the conversations I have lined up, though, so I'm ready for you to hear some of those. I'm really glad to be back in the swing of things with the podcast, and yeah. That's it. I'm going to close this out with the rest of the title track from Every Sun, Every Moon by I'm Glad It's You. And that's that's the last thing you hear from me. Until next time, let's get to work. Sleepwalk through every day and night And wake up digging in the doorways of imaginary eyes Fortress one with you inside They always pass me by of you blinding me take me to shelter in the places where joy and sorrow beyond all language the steady hand of time where the last I look for you the more of you I find under every sun